about four years ago, Kevin Johnson was on staff here at Woodland Hills and he felt the call to leave us. And we were sad, but we blessed him and sent him on his way because he had a call to go to the mission field. And that mission field was to Europe and he packed up his family and he went. And that was four years ago. And we're happy to say that he's back here in the Twin Cities. He's back here at Woodland Hills with us today. And he's here to share with us this morning. So if you could please help me in welcoming the amazing Kevin Johnson. Hi, everybody. It's really, really good to be back with the people in the church that I love. As Shauna said, I was on staff back before this Luke series even started. <laughs> what do they call that? Like the Dark Ages or something like that. Um, yeah, and for the past four years, I've been a Woodland Hills missionary to Europe serving specifically in the Netherlands in a city called The Hague. And it's, it's a beautiful place, just a beautiful city. Uh, but one that, like most of Europe, offers an incredible opportunity to share God's love to very hungry people. Less than 3% of Europeans have anything to do with God. Uh, so uh, this sculpture that is, uh, it's about a 20 or 30 foot sculpture. The, the Dutch are really into their art. This was just out on a hillside a few miles from my home. I think it really captures in a tragic, poignant sort of way the national ethos. As to me, I look at that and, and, and I see hungry eyes, distant eyes. There, there's brokenness there and emptiness and, you know, after generation upon generation of denial of the spiritual side of life, people there are really hungry. So with Christian Associates International, uh, Kathy and I have been saying to hungry Europeans, come on, taste and see, because Jesus really satisfies. So we said that to... One who is now my good friend, Rob. There's a picture of Rob. He's with his sweetheart on a picnic blanket. Rob is sometimes an entrepreneur. Oftentimes, he's a bartender. And he started hanging around our spiritual community in The Hague. Opened his life to Christ. And wow, is he alive. I had the joy of baptizing him uh, just a couple of months ago, just before we left. And it is so neat to see Rob, how he dreams of the continued ongoing work of God in his life. He's just so open and it's beautiful and it's dangerous and it's wonderful. See, because just about everyone in his life that knows him, uh, they know nothing of the love of Jesus yet. And that's just a cool thing because Rob, yeah, God's moving. Brett is a student from China. And a curious thing happened when Brett was coming to The Hague to do some graduate work. His Chinese grandmother said to him, hey, when you get to Europe, I want you to look for God. See if you can find God. Why he would think of finding him in the Netherlands, if you know about their culture, is an amazing thing. But Brett started his search. And that took him to 
crossroads, our little church there, and he found God. And that smile on that picture shows you that. Uh, now he works with a group of, of Chinese people who are living in The Hague, and he's sharing Christ with them. And he dreams of doing the same when he returns to his homeland, China, when he's done with his studies. One of the things we did uh, over in The Hague was we created a European branch office of the International Justice Mission. I don't know if you've heard of this organization, but it is an awesome group. They, they not only advocate, like others do, for the release of people from forced labor or slavery and sexual slavery and all that sort of stuff. They actually go in and they do these clandestine rescues and pull people out of those situations. And they, 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 they prosecute the perpetrators and then they, they do aftercare for the people that they rescue. It's a wonderful ministry and The Hague is known as the city of peace and justice. So I got there, I knew about international justice missing. I'm like, well, if this is really the city of international justice, then let's get an office of IJM here in The Hague. So we created one and when we were kind of launching it, we decided to make a Sunday morning focus on that ministry a little bit and it brought out some people from some other churches in the Netherlands. And after the service, one woman came forward to me and she was just in tears. And she said, my husband and I have been in church all our lives. You rarely find anyone in the Netherlands who would say that. She went on, what you have here, I have never seen before. Not ever. Neither has my husband. All my years in church, I have only gotten this message. You are not good enough. You never will be good enough. And God does not approve. And we wonder why the churches are empty. This is new, she said. This is different. I never imagined it could be like this. And she went on to weep tears of hope that life in Christ really could be about freedom and love and acceptance, about hope for a life like Christ. So I just want to thank you all for helping make this ministry happen over there. When God called us back, uh, when God called us there four years ago, it was like the biggest thing you could imagine for us. Uh, it, was, it was the hardest thing we've ever done. It was one of the biggest thrills of my life. And now he's called us back here. But my point is this. Wherever we are, one thing remains. For me, it's this desire I have always had and still have to step into all that God has for me. I want a life that lines up with the words of the Apostle Paul that burned into my psyche when I was 18 years old and God got a hold of me for the first time. These words I came across from Paul, they still captivate me today, and I hope they do you too. Let's read them. First, or 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The song we sang about during the offering. Amen? Amen? And we, who with unveiled faces, we don't have to hide in shame anymore. We, who with unveiled faces all now can reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm telling you, we got to wrestle with that text up there. It's powerful. God has a vision for you and me, and all I'm saying is, I, I, I want to step into that. That is the life I have always wanted. So I want to talk to you today about the life you've always wanted, or perhaps about the life you ought to want. I want to talk to you about how we position ourselves to make these words from Paul a reality in our lives. It's truly, it's just an incredible thing that God believes this can be a reality for me, Kevin. God believes in me. He believes in you. Would you pray with me? God, we're coming now in this hour and just saying we want you to have your way. And so by your Spirit, come and help each one of us here from wherever we are right now to open up a little bit and posture ourselves to receive from you who has good things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. My first day on the job at a church in Southern California years ago was an interesting one. We had kind of a campus, as they do in Southern California, with different buildings. And, and so I hadn't been in this one building before. It had some children's classrooms, and I thought I'd just walk in and give myself a tour. And I was expecting the room to be empty, but I was wrong. There was this old man there, and he was a volunteer doing some light carpentry. That's a very good thing. And being the new guy on the team, I went right up to this guy and extended my hand and gave him a very warm greeting. My hand was left hanging there. My greeting went unmatched. And he just kind of looked up from the sanding he was doing and then looked back down and went back to work and said to himself, but just loud enough for me to hear, doesn't anybody do any work around here? And that was it. That was all I got. So I go back into the offices, and I told the staff what had just happened. And here's the part that just irks me. They all laughed and said, ah, that's just George. As in, that's just the way he is. As in, we've all accepted him being incredibly rude. As in, it's okay. George has been in the church all his life, thinks of himself as a very devoted follower of Christ, but he's as crabby as hell itself. He's really not so bad if you just stay away from him. <laughs> I went away sad that nobody believed in George the way God believes in me. You know what I'm saying? Nobody believed in him enough to nurture the healing that God could bring to his troubled soul so that he didn't have to wound other people before they had a chance to wound him. Nobody envisioned a presently active God transforming George into the likeness of his son. And I think that's tragic. For the rest of my message, I'm going to assume something. 
that you want what I want. A life of adventure as we follow Christ into newness of being. That we can still be captivated by the reality of our lives becoming beautiful and powerful like the one we name Lord. Now, my own journey has been a long one, and my life's passion has been to become like Christ. That's resulted in me employing a number of different strategies to help me get there. Various times in my life, these different things have moved to the forefront. I want to share them with you because I think you'll relate to some of them. The first strategy for personal transformation that I would try was, was just try harder. This is the, the discipline and commitment strategy. Willpower is the key to becoming like my master. The only problem is willpower is just not my thing. I can be stuck. When it comes to athletics, I have a lot of willpower there. I've run three marathons, okay? So that tells you, yeah, that's it. I've spent all my willpower doing that. I ain't got no more. Just not wired that way. And then, oh, there's this. For me, it, jo- it robbed the joy of my relationship with my Lord uh, when it was just all about my own trying harder, trying harder. And what is more, those who seemed to excel at this method of spiritual growth, when I really stopped and looked at their life, they didn't impress me all that much. They tended to be kind of rigid. Sometimes they tended to be proud. Uh, but we have to say, to be successful at any endeavor takes effort. You know, there's something here for us. We've got our part to play. We've got to do something. But this all on its own sure left me wanting. So my second strategy, I call it copycat conformance. I didn't at the time, but I later saw it for that. It was this idea. Find someone I admire spiritually. I just like their life and the way they live it and try to mimic them. You know, Paul says, imitate me. Be imitators of me. And, okay, all right, so I'll do this. I, I, you know, I can't follow Paul. He's not walking the earth right now, but I got this guy in my life. If I just picked well, it might work. Again, it was a noble intention. Uh, I learned some new things. I had a friend whose dad, his name was Dick, and you know what, this was a holy guy, and he was worth emulating, so I gave that a shot. The only problem is, Dick had his personality traits, and Kevin had his. Dick had this set of spiritual gifts. God gave Kevin some different spiritual gifts, and that created some awkward moments, you know? Um, He was really good at speaking prophetic words over people. He would do that and people would just soak it in. they go, wow. I got some pretty odd looks from people when I was trying to speak my non-prophetic prophetic words over them. It's like, you kook, who do you think you are? Overall, the strategy, it, it stretched me. Uh, but, you know... At the end of the day, trying to be more like Jesus Christ by copying Dick Peterson was just more frustrating than anything else. This third one, I don't want you to misunderstand, so hear me carefully. Let me just say it this way. Devotions, devotions, devotions. Guilt, guilt, guilt. 
Yeah, you just gave me a response that you can relate to that. It's not that having a regular time set aside for study and prayer and reflection is a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing. Do it. That never produces guilt. But my failure to do so consistently sure did. You know what I'm saying. So I stumbled across a fourth strategy as well. I just call it doing the fruit of the Spirit. This was kind of my, my behavior modification approach to spiritual growth. Uh, you know, it's, it's I, I will be gentle. I will be kind. I will live peacefully. Come on, try it. We can have a whole fruit salad right in this room today. Okay, you guys get self-control, and you guys get patience and kindness, and so, okay, just squeeze it out right now. Come on. I don't see it. Why? Because that's absurd. Paul writes in Galatians 5 of these things being the fruit of the Spirit. You can't just do or be fruit. But hey, to think about trying to be more peaceful or self-controlled or loving is a very good thing. All these things and more are efforts that we can make to bring about the life we hunger for, a life that satisfies because it's a life of adventure as we journey toward Christ-likeness. Now, they're good things, all of them, but even as a whole set, at least for me, they left something lacking. And what is lacking is the central point to my message today. There's a great story in the Old Testament that well illustrates the key to the power of transformation. There's this guy named Naaman, and he's not Israeli. He's actually an enemy uh, general in neighboring Aram's army. Think modern-day Syria. That's where he was from. His band of, of warriors had raided an Israeli village and captured a young girl and forced her into slavery. She, she became the servant of Naaman's wife. Now, Naaman had leprosy. And uh, the slave girl from Israel tells of a prophet in Israel who could perhaps heal uh, Naaman of his leprosy. And so... He has the king send a letter to the king of Israel asking for a miracle. And Israel's king kind of flips out. He's like, oh, this is just a big prov provocation. He, he knows I can't do miracles, and when I can't heal his general, he's going to have another excuse to attack again. So Elisha hears of all this and steps in and invites Naaman to come to him. And here's where we pick up our text in 2 Kings 5. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even go out. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, just go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. This was a bit of a provocation. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he went off in a rage. 
Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept the gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. Even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master, the king, enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm, I have to bow down there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Now, on several levels, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. The neighboring enemy warlord comes looking for a favor from Israel's God. But here's the beauty of it. Naaman was just desperate enough to give God a chance. He travels there. He, he jumps through these hoops. Now, he had some skepticism, and it was real. Go wash in a filthy Israeli river when we have much cleaner ones in Damascus. He was going to go home, but he was just desperate enough, just hungry and open enough for change that he was open to receive whatever God wanted him to do. And I would say to you this morning, it was his receptiveness, reluctant, skeptical, and all, that got him his miracle. It was his willingness to do whatever God asked. So here's the thrust of what I'm saying today. Receptivity is the posture of the human soul that unlocks the power of God in your life. And I want, to, I want you all to learn to be like Naaman. You can bring your doubts. You can bring your confusion. You can bring your anger. You can bring whatever you have. Just bring your desire for change. Bring yourself and be open to receive whatever God may be wanting to do in you. Nothing is more critical to stepping into the life that God has for us than an open posture before him that says, you be God. You, you know what is best for me. I know I can't do it. You, you just, I am open and receptive to anything you want. Now, the end of this story is, is really wonderful when you think about it. I just love the dynamics of the different things that are going on here. Naaman, first of all, is still stuck in this idea of territorial gods. He says, there's no God but the God in Israel. And then he says, so I want to bring some Israeli dirt back on which to worship the Israeli God. 
But he's even, he's even more confused. He says, okay, I'm in a pickle here. I only want to worship your God from now on. But when I bring my king into our temple, the temple of Rimon, and he bows down, I kind of end up bowing with him. Do you think that's okay? And Elisha the prophet, seeing Naaman's desire, his heart, not his correct theology, not his perfect behavior, not having just the right amount of faith. It was just his openness to God moving in his life that was enough for Elisha. And so he says, go in peace. The translation being openness and receptivity is the key. God has moved and is moving in your life, and you're open to that, and that is enough for now. You've got, you've got to want it. And let that desire create a posture in your soul of positioning your life to receive from God. And that posture unleashes his power in your life. So what does receptivity look like? How do we live in it? How do we live with an open posture before God? Let me suggest a few things. First, I think it's important that we believe that we are called by God. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That means that the end for God is not when you give your life to Christ. For him, that's just the beginning. You're created for so much more. Okay, now let's get going. I can't get inside George's mind. Remember George from my earlier story? But I think there was some faulty wiring there. He gave his life to Christ. That's the end of all things. No. It's the beginning of all things. That's why we call it new birth. We are God's handiwork. He has plans for us. And believing that, I think, is the starting point to cultivating receptivity and releasing his power in our life. Second thing. Acknowledge the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. In is an operative word there. You are not alone. God, God not only calls you to so much more life and purpose, He embeds Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit and every follower so that His purposes can be achieved. See, it's not just that you're called by Him, it's that you are filled by Him for the very purposes of working this stuff out. Receptivity is just acknowledging that. It's celebrating that in a humble way. So some of you today are discouraged about your own growth and change. Don't be discouraged about your own growth and change. Just, just recognize you are called by God and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and get yourself in an open posture before Him and let Him do His work. Romans 8.11 clearly states that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and does so to give you more life. So are you open? The third thing is to be ready for interruptions. Because those first two things are true. You are called by God, you are filled with the Spirit. If you're open and receptive, just be ready for some interruptions. 
Four years ago, our life had this huge interruption when God led us to Europe. And I mean, that's the sort of thing the 30-year-olds do or 20-somethings, I don't know. I was 48 at the time. And to be honest with you, coming back here a month and a half ago was even a bigger interruption. I loved what I was doing. Our ministry was thriving. Lives were being changed. And there are so few people doing what we were doing in Europe. Man, oh man, the harvest field in Europe is so white. And there's just so few people working. And God interrupts and says, go home. Now, the other thing you need to know is I, I never just move away from something. I'm always looking for the new idea and wanting to move to something else. I'm a move toward sort of guy. When I told the elders of our church in The Hague back in February that I would be leaving this summer, I had no concrete plans for what was next. See, now my usual mode, this is confession time, my usual mode is to figure everything out and then have a lot of faith. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I'm really good at that. Get all my ducks in a row and even if it seems like an outrageous thing to do, figure it all out and then step forward and pat myself on the back and say, boy, don't I have a lot of faith. <laughs> well, now... Here I was moving back to my home country with the worst economy of my lifetime and no job. Leaving a vibrant, thriving ministry that I loved for I don't know what, because God said so. Now, since then, I have been led to a new position within our mission organization, Christian Associates. I'm going to be spearheading some new initiatives in the United Kingdom. Uh, we just think that for a number of reasons, Ireland and England and Scotland uh, are, are a very strategic area for our organization, which is primarily focused on Europe. And we want to see God doing a number of new things there, and I'm going to be working to help catalyze those things. I'm very excited about it. If, if you want to know more about it, talk to me afterwards. We, Kathy and I have a couple of meetings coming up uh, in our home for anyone who just wants to hear more about that. Uh, but here's the point. A life of openness to God is going to be met with some surprises and some interruptions. Just ask Mary and Joseph. Now, a fourth thing. And this next one I'm putting in the simple, very simple. I'm almost embarrassed to bring it to you. Simple but profound category. It is this. Pray, Lord, I'm open every day. Now, it's simple in that everyone in this room can do it right now. Lord, I'm open. You can do it today. You can do it tomorrow and the next day. But it's profound in that if you do, things are going to change. Now, so I want to encourage you to pray this. Pray it daily. Pray it when new situations arise or challenges arise. If you are praying this consistently every day uh, and nothing seems to be happening, then I suggest you add a couple more words to your prayer. Pray, Lord, I'm open. And then say, just search me. Lord, I'm open. Search me. 
And you know what? You'll feel a little tap on your spiritual shoulder from, the, from God saying, you know, I'd really like to work with you on this anger thing. Or I'd really like to clean that out of your life. I've been waiting for you to ask for a long time. You want to work on this? You know what? I have filled you with my spirit to help you take care of this. Or you could say, Lord, I'm open. Stretch me. Maybe it's not so much about cleaning something out of a corner of your life, but maybe he just wants to impart something new in you, like a spirit of generosity. I don't know what it might be, but, but just pray, Lord, I'm open. Stretch me. Or, Lord, I'm open. Lead me. Some new place, some new thing, some new endeavor, a new ministry, I don't know. But I just know if you pray, Lord, I'm open. Wherever you are, however far you seem to be from God right now, however close you seem to be, God delights in this prayer and he will answer it. It will bring results. I was a speaker at a men's retreat out in Lake Mead. You ever been out to Lake Mead? It's absolutely gorgeous. A bunch of guys rent these 10-man houseboats and we go, they go out there with jet skis and water skiing and fishing and doing all this really fun stuff for a long weekend and I was the speaker and um, Gary was there and Gary is just a skeptic skeptic or he was at the time. He's one of these self-made men, a successful California dude, entrepreneur made oodles and oodles of money and he was just very far from God. He was there for the fun. Now, you kind of got a bunch of guys when you're speaking to them out in a beautiful situation like that. And you got this machismo thing going, you know, who caught the biggest fish and who's the best water skier, and who can make the tightest turns on the jet ski and stuff like that. And so as a speaker, when you go to them and you say, I dare you, you kind of got them, you know. And so I said to him, I dare each one of you here to pray, Lord, I'm open. Gary took my dare. And it was the first prayer of his life. But that was the start of an amazing work of God in his life. Uh, it was just a few months later that Gary and I were sitting around with some other guys that had been on that retreat. And he's telling several of us all about this amazing journey that God was on, uh, that he was on with God and how it was impacting his marriage and how it was impacting the way he structured his businesses and everything. And he was just, you could just see the life oozing out of him. Because he dared pray, Lord, I'm open. Far or near people wherever you are right now, the simple prayer of receptivity will bring powerful results to your life. But don't just pray it once. Don't just pray it today. Pray it all the time because I want you to make it a posture that you assume before God. A posture of receptivity that unleashes his power in our lives. Now, the fifth thing for me to share is really the most important. And it is this. Just remember who we're following. See, if you open your life to a tyrant, you will be abused. All my chatter today about how to do that would be rather pointless. But open your life to a God who loves you so much that he would send his one and only son as a sacrifice on your behalf. 
Open your life to a God who would embed his very spirit within all who name Jesus Lord. Open your life to a heavenly father who promises to give good gifts to his children and shape them into the very image of his son. Well, that's what I'm talking about. That is the life I have always wanted. Jesus models this for us. His life, uh, far more than any other life, was so open to receiving what God was asking him to do. It just blows us away when we ponder it. So he could say things like this, John 3, 40, or 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, I just get sustenance from, from being open to what my father wants me to do and doing it. Or John 8, 29, the one who sent me is with me. He's never left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now, here's the question. Why was he so good at doing that? Why was he so amazingly adept at just being open to what his father wanted him to do and doing it? It's because he had such an amazing understanding of who his father was and is. Eternal love. That is our Father. So I heard this story as a little boy. I'm going to close with it. It's just one of those stories that have stuck with me, has stuck with me all my life. An old man dies and goes to heaven. Let's just, let's just call him George. He's met at the pearly gates not by St. Peter, but by Jesus himself. And after a warm exchange, exchange, Jesus offers to give him his own personal tour of heaven. And everything is stunning. I mean wonder upon wonder. His heart is racing with excitement. His skin tingles. Everything he sees takes his breath away. It's just like sensory overload. And then Jesus walks him into a big warehouse. Bigger than this room. Taller than this room by fivefold. And as they step inside, George notices that it's just full of gifts. Every size and shape and, and, and large ones and little ones. And, and his eyes get huge and he gasps. Whoa, who are these for? And Jesus replies, oh, George, these are yours. These are all things our father wanted to give you while you were on earth but here they sit because you never received them. Receptivity is the key to the life you've always wanted. Think about it. You can trust him. He is good. We sing that today. God is good all the time. So if you're a little reluctant, some of you may be, you know what, so was Naaman. Just taste and see that the Lord is good. People in Europe always, they always ask me about the big church that we're a part of in America. And you know what, Woodland Hills, here is what I long to tell them. I want to say about you, they are amazing people. They are so open and receptive to the move of God in their lives that, wow, things just happen. And you know what? 
they're looking more and more like Jesus all the time as they live the life they always wanted. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. You are here. We acknowledge your presence now. Would you do your work to convince each one of us deep within to take a chance on positioning our soul to be open and receptive to what you want to do in us? We believe that the life we've always wanted is the life your Father wants for us. And so we say, come and do your good work. We welcome that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me come back and do this with you. I do want to invite the prayer team forward for prayer ministry. If anyone would like some prayer ministry, don't forget to greet and get to know the Nielsen's back at the hub. And if anyone wants to hear more about what we're doing next, come talk to me. I'd love to tell you about it. God bless you. Thanks for tuning into this message from Woodland Hills. We hope you enjoyed it. You can download more sermon resources, including study guides and our entire sermon archive, on our website at whchurch.org. You can also discuss the sermons and connect with other members of the Woodland Hills body on the bridge at bridge.whchurch.org.